After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Uh, today it is May 6th, and we have a brand new Baseball America Top 25 for you over on the over on the website, baseballamerica.com. UCLA remains number one. We have Vanderbilt moving up to number two, flip-flopping with Stanford. The Cardinal are number three, and then Arkansas and Mississippi State move up to four and five. We have two new teams entering the top 25 this week. That is Oklahoma State, which swept Oregon State in shocking fashion in Corvallis, and Michigan, which is the hottest team in the country, or tied with Vanderbilt for the hottest team in the country, riding an 11-game winning streak uh, to the top of the Big Ten standings. We will get into all of that and more, uh, but first I want to welcome in Joe Healy and Dave Serrano uh, again to the Baseball America College podcast. Glad to be back, Teddy. Uh, excited that we're getting closer to conference tournaments and postseason baseball. Yeah, Teddy, ready to jump right in. All righty. So it was an exciting week around college baseball, I would say, as as we get into May. Like Dave is saying, we are getting closer to, uh, to Selection Monday. We're getting closer to conference tournaments. Uh, it, we are just two weeks away from most of those things kicking off, and I think the Patriot League actually gets going this weekend. In fact, I know the Patriot League gets going this weekend. So you'll have, for, for the conference tournament enthusiasts out there, you can really get going this weekend and uh, go check out the Patriot League matchups. For most of the rest of the country, still a couple weeks away from that, which means there's still time for, for teams to, to make some moves. And that's kind of what happened over the weekend here in a, a few cases. I, I think that we should start out west where you had UCLA going to Arizona State. It was an interesting uh, matchup just in terms of UCLA is the best pitching staff in the country, Arizona State the best uh, lineup in the country. UCLA comes out on top with the two games, wins the first two games of that series there in Phoenix, almost swept the series. The Sun Devils were able to come back late on Sunday to salvage the series. So UCLA remains at number one in the top 25 following that. But then Stanford uh, also won two out of three. They were at Southern Cal. Uh, and, and they, the, them dropping their Sunday game actually moved them into a tie for first place with Oregon State atop the Pac-12. UCLA is actually a game off the pace, uh, kind of a little weird deal at, at the top of the, the standings in the Pac-12 right now, but UCLA also has already played both Stanford and Oregon State, whereas those two teams still have to play each other. The most interesting thing, I mean, that that all was, was rather interesting, but the, the most interesting thing that happened in the Pac-12 this weekend, though, was in non-conference action uh, when you had Oklahoma State going out to Corvallis uh, for a matchup of the, the black and orange OSUs. There it is. The Cowboys came away with rather a shocking sweep they won the, the first game behind some great pitching from Jensen Elliott and Peyton Battenfield. 
They got uh, the offense going a little bit the next two days. The game two was still kind of a pitcher's duel. And then game three was a little bit of back and forth. And Oklahoma State able to come up with an eight to seven win to finish the sweep. That's the first time Oregon State has been swept at Goss Stadium since 2010. And I saw a stat floating around on Twitter uh, that Oregon State had not been swept at home in a non-conference series since the 1940s. So obviously that was quite the win for Oklahoma State. How impressed were you guys with, with what the Cowboys were able to do in Corvallis? I think it was pretty, I think it's really impressive what they did. Um, we had talked about this earlier uh, in the year about the craziness of Oklahoma State scheduling a non-conference to go across the country and play Oregon State, uh, not even realizing that, that the Cowboys would go in there and sweep them. I, I, I think that you know, what it comes down to is kind of what I talked about uh, a couple weeks ago about as we get into postseason, we talked so much through the year about very good pitching staff. And there's there's many of them around the country. There's uh, arguments on who has the best one. And we know Oregon State has one of the better ones. But in some of these series, especially this time of the year where the weather is starting to warm up, I don't know what the weather was in Corvallis. It might have been rainy. But, you know, the teams are starting to get more offensive now. And, um you to stay up with some of these offensive teams, you need to have offense yourself. And I think that's been the Achilles heel of the Beavers all year long is they've got that wonderful pitching staff, but their, their offense has been very sketchy throughout. And, and uh, obviously Oklahoma state went in there with an idea of a huge resume builder. That was a huge resume builder. It probably, unless they fall flat on their face, it probably, secured for now one an opportunity to maybe be a regional host and they went in there and took business and I don't think there's any cause for concern for Oregon State I know they have the, the Civil War series next weekend against Oregon but it, I would start to be a little worried as we're getting down the stretch to have a team come across the country and sweep you in in a pretty good fashion in your own backyard I think I came away a little bit surprised that this in particular was how Oklahoma State swept Oregon State. I mean, I would have guessed if, if you had had me reverse engineer a result and, and you had told me, you know, Oklahoma State sweeps Oregon State on the road. How did it happen? You know, I kind of would have thought that Oklahoma State uglied up the series a little bit. And, and by that, I mean, you know, found a way to get into the, the Oregon State bullpens early and kind of made it a, a knockout drag out fight. We, we saw a little bit of that on Sunday when, you know, Oregon State just really couldn't put Oklahoma State away and kind of they they hung around, hung around, hung around, and ended up taking the lead and winning that game. But, you know, Oklahoma State came out and just outpitched Oregon State the first couple of days of the weekend. Um, you know, and, and Oregon State can sometimes be, I mean, the pitching has been outstanding for them this year, but, you know, um, I, I would have thought it would have been one of those series where maybe, you know, Bryce Fimmel, because his stuff is not necessarily overpowering, sometimes, you know, if his if he just isn't on, he can get hit around a little bit, and, and Oklahoma State did a little bit of that, but I, I just wouldn't have assumed that, this was the way Oklahoma State would get it done to where, you know, Jensen Elliott pitches as well as he does and just absolutely shuts them down. And then, you know, they come back and get a good bullpen day on Saturday to uh, shut down Oregon State again. It really wasn't, I have to admit, when I went back and looked and kind of saw how they did it, I, I was a little bit surprised that that in particular uh, was how it happened. I thought it would have been kind of three games more like what we saw on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I, the, what Jensen Elliott was able to do was very impressive two hits, seven innings, no runs on Friday night, and can't lose what Battenfield did. He retired all six uh, hitters that he faced, and he struck out the side in the ninth, ending the game by striking out Rutschman. It, so obviously just a, a, a big, big spot for him to, to come through. And 
then I, I thought the way that they hit the ball was pretty impressive. Now, Oregon State did not have Grant Gambrell on Sunday. They kind of held him out as just kind of a, a precautionary deal um, just because of how much he's thrown this year. And so, I mean, that that does change things a little bit. But still, I mean, for, for what Oklahoma State was able to do to, to go across the country and, and to go into a, a pretty tough environment, just ask Minnesota about that. Just ask any Pac-12 team about that. Uh, and, and come out with with a sweep is uh, is I, I was very impressed and, and I think that you know Oklahoma State has some uh, has some they have some really nice pieces and, and if they're putting it together here down the stretch you know they're going to be a dangerous team come tournament time. On the flip side though, Dave, you said you're not there's not really a, a ton of cause for concern yet with Oregon State. They did go 0 and 4 this last week. And if you take it back a week further, they dropped two midweek games at Nevada. They did then sweep Washington State, but that sweep wasn't – not all sweeps are created equal. They took 16 innings to win one of those games against Washington State, and another one was rather close, and that's by far the worst team in the pack. So I, I feel like Oregon State's been a little shaky here for the last couple of weeks. I, is there – is there anything here to, to be concerned about, or is this something that they just need to kind of get fixed in the next couple of weeks and then build some momentum towards the, the start of regionals? Well, as a, as a former coach, if, if I'm sitting in that dugout or in that, their office today, I would be concerned, obviously, over the resume you just talked about over the last three weeks, and even their wins have been kind of ugly. It's the defending national champion. It's Oregon State. Uh, they still are in a good position to maybe host. That could have maybe put them on the bubble a little bit. I still think someone's going to have to uh, do something to beat them as we get into postseason. But, yes, I mean, absolutely. They, they need to clean their game up. They need to start playing better baseball, especially as we get down the stretch. The Pac-12 does not have a conference tournament, but they're going to have to finish strong and continue as they go into into postseason. I, I, this isn't the time of year you want to start playing your best baseball at this time of the year. They are, they have, they've chosen to start playing their worst baseball, and that would be a cause of concern if, if you're in that program, if you're a player or you're a coach, you would start kind of be looking around what's going on because they have been so consistent throughout the majority of the year, even with an offense that wasn't, as we know, a juggernaut, but their pitching had been so consistent and now that's letting in a little bit and it's allowing teams to, to be more successful against them. Yeah, I mean, I, I I kind of agree. I mean, I think there actually is a little bit of concern here just because um, I think this kind of shows where they might be a little bit vulnerable in postseason play. And we've talked about this a lot this year that, that you know, the postseason is just kind of a different animal. And I think the Friday game is a, is a great example. I mean, um, that's the type of game that can happen when you get into a regional, even as a even as a host. I mean, you never you never know when you're going to get drawn with a four seed and because for a couple of reasons, I mean, one, you just, you don't necessarily know going into it, what kind of four seeds you're going to get. And a lot of times you can kind of bank on getting a team from your general region. You might be a little more familiar with, but not always. Sometimes they have to send four seeds from the Northeast somewhere, for example. Um, so you just never know what four seed you're going to get. And you don't know that you're going to get drawn across from a four seed that has a guy on Friday who's capable of that kind of performance. And so that's a little bit concerning that, you know, hey, you know, we could get drawn up against somebody like that. And if, if we get into a situation where our, you know, our offense 
you know, can't generate any offense against our offense, can't generate any runs against them. It's going to put our pitchers in a position where they have to be perfect. And they, they have been a lot this year, but you, you just can't really bank on that. But setting that aside, because that can happen to really anyone, I think this might have been a window into, you know, look, if the pitching isn't quite there and, you know, without Kevin Abel for sure now. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Grant Gambrell being out just to kind of get him some rest. Um, but, you know, if something like that were to be the case over regional weekend, I think it can really put him against the wall um, where the pitching just isn't quite as good. And when the pitching isn't quite as good, um, can that offense really make all that up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that those are definitely fair points. And I guess I would be more concerned about Oregon State if I had thought Oregon State was a world beater before this weekend, but I like I have, as many people probably have figured out, an Oregon State fan sure have. Uh, I've been skeptical of the Beavers much of the year, and this is kind of why. And I there, there's just this isn't what they've been the last two years, and they just let especially last year they could hit their way out of trouble. If, uh, you know, if someone in that pitching staff didn't deliver, okay, Trevor Larnick and Nick Madrigal and Adley Rutschman and Kaden Grenier, we're going to go take care of business for it. And that's just not necessarily going to be the case this year. As they run up against better and better pitching staffs, uh, you know, the, stuff like this can happen. And so I, I think that, I, yeah, you can be concerned as an Oregon State fan right now. And I, I think that's you know, very much, you know, uh, an understandable, uh, you know, place to be right now. But I also think that, you know, they still are in a fairly advantageous position, uh, all, all things considered. They're still, despite this, they're still winning the Pac-12 right now. And, you know, they still have that Stanford series. But if they can take care of business in that and their other two Pac-12 series to, still on the board, you know, they'll host. They can still be a top eight seed. Their RPI doesn't look good right now, but playing Stanford will help that instantly. And you know, so I I think that you know they're they're it's not where they want to be on on May sixth, but it's not in an unsalvageable position by any means. So I I, I think that I, it was it was a shocking result, and I guess it can go one of two ways from here. Either you know, Oregon State, I don't want to say wakes up, but like takes this and and moves forward with it and learns from it, or this is kind of the start of something or or, or the the further manifestation of 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 these problems. And we'll only see it, you know, kind of I don't want to say spiral, but but it you know, it can start rolling downhill in a bad way as well. So we'll we'll see which direction Oregon State takes that uh, in the weeks to come. But you know, right now, big result for Oklahoma State, which uh, probably just moved up to the host line uh, with that sweep. I mentioned that they came into the top 25. Uh, the other team coming into the top 25 this week was Michigan. Michigan has won 11 in a row. Uh, they swept at Maryland this weekend. They hold a two-and-a-half game lead in the Big Ten. They still have series against Indiana. Uh, that's at home this weekend, and then at Nebraska to finish it. They're looking for their first Big Ten title uh, since 2008. Uh, they, they won three straight from 2006 to 2008, and they haven't won one since. Uh, this is a group that, that is very hungry for it. they kind of an older group, uh, and, and they're, they're very much aware that they, uh, 
that it's been a while at Michigan in terms of winning a Big Ten title, and, and they want to be the ones to do it. And now they have a chance this weekend to clinch it. It's going to be hard to clinch. They need to sweep to clinch this weekend. But over the next two weeks, if they take care of business, they uh, you know, they have a commanding lead right now, though it's not an easy, easy finish. But I, it just feels like this is a team that, that's found its stride and uh, you know seems like they're playing their best baseball uh, at, at a very optimum time of year to, to be doing that. I agree. I think they are playing good baseball right now, and they're 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 playing at the right time. Like I said earlier about the Oregon State, this is the time of year you want to hit your stride. And obviously, Michigan has been a team we've talked about. It's been in our top twenty-five. We recognize them as a as a good team, as a as as a good program this year. Um, they're starting to prove that as we get down the stretch. And and uh, you know, with some some quality teams, I believe. You know, we've talked about Illinois some. We've talked about Minnesota and Indiana. Uh, I think it'll be a big thing for Michigan to to win the win the win the conference and and finish it out. I don't know if it happens this weekend, but I foresee it happening in the next couple of weeks. You know, I admitted uh, last night at, in in our top twenty five discussion that I've kind of forgotten about Michigan a, a couple times throughout the year, um, and and that's my own fault, obviously. But I think it's just because you know they they've the, the times where they've had their most high profile. Um, moments in the sun, if you will, have kind of been when they stumbled. I mean, they had that one and two weekend in the Dodger Stadium tournament. Uh, they got swept by Texas Tech out in Lubbock. But outside of that, they've just been really, really steady this year. Um, so, you know, it, it, it kind of seems like the times we've ranked them have also been right before some of those stumbles. So obviously they started the season ranked, but they that stumble in Dodger Stadium was fairly early in the year. And so, you know, they've kind of always gone back, you know, kind of into the background and they, they kind of pop back up, but they've just been really, really steady this year. I, you know, went back and looked and really just the Ohio State weekend. And that was, of course, that's a rivalry uh, series and it was on the road. And, and of course, they never want to lose rivalry series, especially to Ohio State. But um, that's really the only series they've gone into where, you know, you would have expected them to come out uh, winning that series that they really stumbled everything else. I mean, they go on the road to Texas Tech and I'm sure that was disappointing. They got swept out there and really didn't play particularly well. Um, but that's kind of the expected result out there was lose that series. And look at the Dodger Stadium deal. They they lost a close game to USC and then lost in 10 innings to Oklahoma State, and they, they beat UCLA. So um, it's really just been a pretty consistent team all year that um, has not played their best baseball at the most opportune times, if you will. Um, when I look at their their team statistically, if you'd have told me at the beginning of the year that you know Dominic Clemente um, is going to be hitting 215 and, you know, just start 17 games. And Christian Bullock is only going to start 16 games. And Jesse Franklin's going to be hitting 240. Um, you know, I would have been a little bit concerned there. But they've actually, you know, they've, without those guys, and, and Jesse Franklin's still getting on base almost 400 clip and has 11 home runs. So it's not been a lost year for Jesse Franklin by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, uh, Jordan Brewer's been a revelation in their lineup. And Jordan Wogu has continued what he did last year and, and Blake Nelson's been a nice piece out there. Jack Blomgren has gone from being, you know, kind of a defense first infielder to really becoming a nice contributor on offense as well. And so I think it's a really well-rounded offense and we know what their pitching can do. And, and they've taken a step back as a staff than where they were at the beginning of the year, which was when, you know, their rotation looked like it was going to be one of the very best in college baseball. Uh, but it's still really, really good. And I think that's why they are where they are that they've kind of been this snake in the grass where nothing really necessarily jumps right out at you, but they they still just keep piling up wins uh, and, and having winning weekends one after the other. And they have had a little bit of an advantageous schedule. That's the way the Big Ten works, and we've talked a lot about that. So with that said, I think we'll learn a little bit more about them these next coming weekends and 
Um, obviously, they'll be expected to handle it, a series against Indiana and Nebraska, um, with those two teams kind of both scuffling in different ways coming into the weekend. But um, I think it's going to be a good test for a Michigan team that I think that there's still a feeling out there that they have a little bit to prove. Yeah, I think uh, that's an interesting point there with uh, kind of the idea that Michigan has has missed some opportunities. And I, I feel like the same can kind of be said from Oklahoma State, that both of these teams have kind of had trouble sustaining success. And, I, and that's a weird thing to say about a team that's on an 11-game winning streak. But, you know, the in terms of the Wolverines, that's meant that they haven't you know, they, they beat UCLA on a Friday night at Jackie Robinson Stadium, and then they can't get that next win to, to finish out what would have been a huge weekend at Dodger Stadium. And then they get hot again, uh, and, and then they go to Texas Tech and, and kind of fall on their face. And, uh, you know, then they get hot again. They beat Minnesota at home in a really big kind of emotional series. And then they go to Ohio State for a rivalry series they're very amped up for. That, that Eric Bakich told me that they'd been working all year towards that like a lot of Ohio State and Michigan programs do, Ohio State beats them. And so I, I, if you look at Oklahoma State's schedule, a lot is pretty similar. It was just a week ago we were talking about them getting swept in Lubbock. And, you know, that was coming off of a, a sweep of Texas. And it, it, it these two teams have just kind of had some trouble sustaining success, and that's why they've been in and out of the top 25 at times this season. Dave, just how hard is that for teams to, to learn how to do that, to, to be able to ride some of these highs and, and, and remain on that, that, you know, find some consistency on the good end? You know, Teddy, it's, it's a great question. It's a tough answer. You know, I was just on the phone earlier today with a coach across the country talking about that. And, and uh, I think in today's era of players with, so many things they have, social media, all the stuff with computers. I think it's harder. And I know I'm getting a little uh, analytical by saying that, but I, I think it's harder to keep focus of your team to stay on that high and to sometimes get out of that low. And I think we've talked about this a lot on this on this podcast, off the air when we, in our top 25. It's amazing how much we've seen ups and downs from programs. I, I'll go back to what you just said. We were just talking about Oklahoma State and then getting swept against Texas Tech. Now we're talking about them in another in another way because they just go on the road and, and sweep an Oregon State team. And I think we've seen a lot of that throughout the, the country. And as a coach, you just try as you you try to stay consistent. You try. I heard a lot this weekend from teams talking about how hard it is to maintain that focus on Sundays and finish the job or get the job taken care of where you don't get swept. And I just think it's become harder nowadays with kids to maintain that focus of being successful. And, and when things are going good, continuing to build on that and, and get better. And that's why I have so much respect for the programs that I see consistently in the top 10, the UCLA's, the Stanford, the Vanderbilt is, and I know you're going to talk about this later, their, their resume of consistent success has just been so consistent throughout the year. But then there's a lot of other programs that have struggled with that. And so that's the million-dollar question as a coach. How do you maintain that focus and how do you maintain that drive throughout the whole 56-game schedule? Because I know once you get to the postseason and your name's called on Selection Monday, the focus clicks in. 
but I, I'm a firm believer if the focus hasn't been a daily routine, it's hard to just click it in and then have it maintained throughout the playoffs. That's just my opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting perspective that obviously Joe and I uh, cannot provide. So we we appreciate you uh, you trying to – it's a difficult question to answer, like you said. We, I appreciate you, uh, you giving it your best shot there. Joe – it was an interesting weekend in the Big Ten, aside from what Michigan did. You had Iowa winning a series against UC Irvine in non-conference action. Uh, you had Illinois taking a series against Indiana. Did anything else stand out um, in the Big Ten to you? And, and kind of where do you see the state of that race, uh, aside from Michigan at the top? Yeah, it's really just... It's such a jumbled mess. That's I guess kind of my big takeaway. I mean, with the Big Ten, because you look even further down, and you know Northwestern just won their series with Nebraska, um, and so you know it's 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 really incredible when you look at the the standings now. And you know Michigan's got a two and a half game lead, as as you mentioned, and then basically two through ten are within four and a half games of each other. So till still technically in all of those places are in play. Um, which is really just kind of incredible. Uh, and we, we've kind of beaten this idea to death that, you know, that it's jumbled in the, in the middle of the rankings and, or in the middle of the standings. And, you know, that's a reason why the Big Ten, you know, is just looking to expanding its tournament to, to 10 teams. But, you know, I was still kind of a, a live player in this, I think, because we talked about, um, obviously, they showed what they're capable of this past weekend. I came away uh, pretty impressed with, with the team that, that just kind of is finding ways to win games. And that is a, a kind of a, just a cliche. And I hate to, to phrase it that way, but, but they do. I mean, this was a team and, and I'll have more on Iowa this week. And it's a team that really had modest expectations coming into this season. Um, you know, they, they, they lost a lot of their, you know, Tyler Cropley and, and Robert Newstrom and, you know, they lose a Friday night starter and they're starting shortstop and they're two best bullpen guys. And here they are again. I mean, Rick Heller continues to kind of uh, do just kind of turn some some kind of uh, dark magic there to, to get this team to compete for a postseason appearance year after year, and they're getting it done with a, a rotation that you know is 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 a you know a two way player who hadn't really started at all this year, a guy who's only there because Jack Dreyer got injured for the year, and then um, you know their Sunday guy uh, McDonald from from last year, and and they've really been really consistent on the weekends. Um, offensively, they're kind of scrapping it together and, and, you know, Grant Leonard's kind of a workhorse for him in the bullpen and, you know, they're three and a half games back, but they've got a favorable schedule down the stretch with series against Maryland and Michigan state, two series that I think they feel like they should probably be able to handle. Um, so I think they're still maybe a little bit in the race as much as anybody else. I mean, I think at this point, Michigan's got a big enough lead. It's just going to be really tough for anybody to come up and challenge them unless Indiana, for example, is able to, uh, you know, win that series or in particular sweep them. But if anybody's going to do it, it might be the Hawkeyes just because of that favorable schedule they have coming down the road. And in the big 10, that's as much of, of, of what ends up mattering this time of year as anything else. Yeah, that is uh, a race to watch here at, as we wrap up in the next couple couple of weeks here. We got Michigan uh, into the rankings there, remember, at, at number uh, 23 as, uh, as the Wolverines move into first place. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, just kind of a, a topic that came up last week or uh, last night on the, the top 25 call uh, that, that we do in we were talking about uh, just kind of the top tier of teams. And, you know, every week I put together a eight for Omaha in, in off the bat, which you can read at baseballamerica.com every Monday morning. And uh, 
this this week's eight for Omaha is Arkansas, Georgia, Louisville, Mississippi State, Stanford, Texas Tech, UCLA, and Vanderbilt. And you know, when Dave asked me last night who what I was doing with with aid for Omaha this week, and and I told him, Dave, you you kind of said that that you felt like those eight teams had separated. Is uh, is that kind of still how you see it? That that those are the for you at least the the eight clear cut favorites, or is there there's still some fluidity to that uh, to that grouping? I I think you know Teddy, it goes back to what I was just talking about the consistency consistency and I think when you're talking about from game one to wherever we're at right now probably around game 42 to 45 for most schools I think those are the clear-cut eight top seeds and most consistent seeds now to say and they're going to be dangerous as the postseason comes they're going to be tough to beat but as I've continued to see each weekend and I believe we've seen it together anything kind of goes you know, anything kind of goes in this and, and not many of those teams have had, or, or some of those teams have had some losing weekends. Some have been swept, not all of them. Um, and some of them haven't lost series, but I think uh, those for me, I think I throw Ole Miss in there it, it, as, a, as right on the edge of, of that, of those eight. I think they're playing some good baseball at the right time. They're a team that I could throw in that mix also. Um, but I think clearly those are the eight teams that, that we got to keep an eye on as we go because it would not shock me. And I know the committee is going to have a lot to say with it on how they pair regionals up and all that stuff. But it, and, and someone's going to get hot. There's going to be a Cinderella story somewhere along the way, but it'd be, it surprised me if the majority of that group is not sitting in Omaha, Nebraska come June. Joe, where are you at on that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I, I think I largely agree. I mean, I think we, we've got a, a clear group of, of, of really a kind of nice, tidy eight teams there, <clears throat> excuse me, that I think um, that I think kind of have separated themselves. And I think of it this way, you know, and, and big giant caveat, anything can happen in regionals. We are every year, there's something that happens that surprises us. And that's, that's always going to be a case forever and ever. But the thing I think about when, when you talk about, you know, the super regional round and, and getting to Omaha is that you look at some of the other teams that are in position to host right now and think about kind of how confident you are in their chances to challenge one of these eight teams in a super regional. So you've got a team like like Georgia Tech, for example. Uh, well, now they've got some pitching concerns. Brand Herter out for the year. Xavion Curry's been skipped a couple times now, and um, they're, they're kind of holding him out with an injury concern. You know, North Carolina's made a nice run here, but you know, in our rankings, North Carolina still doesn't have a win against a top 25 team. Um, now that's at the time they played them. Um, but so their resume is still kind of lacking. You know, you see Santa Barbara is kind of similarly untested largely against the top teams. You know, Auburn's obviously, they're kind of out of the hosting mix at this point, but you know, there's a group of teams like Auburn or Ole Miss is probably the better example where they're really pretty hot at this point and they're going to be in the hosting discussion, but you know, their pitching has had its moments this year and they're going to lean pretty heavily on a freshman and Doug Nikhazy, who's been really good in spots this year, but you know, freshmen can wear down when you get to that time of the year. And, uh, you know, Gunnar Hoagland's the same thing. Gunnar Hoagland's been very up and down this year. And is, is that a team that, you know, you feel really confident in trusting to pitch enough, uh, for, get enough from their starting pitchers to get through a super regional and LSU is kind of the same story. I mean, we saw what happened on Sunday between Ole Miss and LSU. So it's, it, it kind of goes both ways. Whereas yes, those eight teams have really kind of separated themselves. But I think the other half of that is that who from that eight to 16 range 
do you really have a lot of conviction in being able to go probably on the road to win a super regional and get to Omaha? Someone's going to do it. I, I have confidence in that. We just, right now, it's hard to pinpoint what that team's going to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I don't know. Like, there are time. there have definitely been years that I have looked at my eight for Omaha this time of year and said, yep, those are it. And like, it's hard to see me changing any of these teams out anytime soon. And I don't know, I hadn't really gone to that point yet, but if I actually look at this, I don't know who I'd be looking at, you know, maybe Oregon state really figures it out, makes a statement, beats Stanford. And I start seeing Oregon state in a different light again. You know, I, Maybe Ole Miss beats Mississippi State this weekend and come to the idea that that Ole Miss is going to be able to bash its way to a regional and they have just enough pitching to make it happen. You know, I, I, I or East Carolina just keeps doing what they're doing, I guess. I, I don't know how East Carolina is supposed to convince me at this point, uh, given what their schedule has left. But, I, yeah, I mean, these are, they certainly look like, the eight most talented teams that are playing at a really high level right now. And I do feel better now that Texas tech is in this because I knew someone from the big 12 was going to assert itself that way. I was kind of waiting for it to be Texas tech for the last few weeks because they're the most talented team. I really like what Baylor's doing, but tech is more talented and they finally, uh, you know, have fully locked in, they went on the road, swept a big series against Oklahoma, and you know I, it looks a lot like what the Tim Tadlock teams that have gone to Omaha look like. In that, you know, it's uh, it's a little messy on the mound, but there are some power arms they can go to, and there is enough reliability that they're going to have some length from some, from some starters and length length from some relievers too. That they're just going to they're going to piece piece it together, but there are enough pieces there. Uh, to make everything work. And it's a pretty offensive team that defends at a fairly high level. So, uh, you know, I think that it, it's, uh, it, they figured it out in Lubbock. You, we figured they were going to eventually. It, it just, it took them until the second half of the season. Sometimes that happens, especially when uh, they have as many uh, new pieces as, uh, as they did this year. So, you know, it, it, it's a, it's an interesting look here. And I don't know. I, I'm not going to say that I'm not making any changes the next few uh, next few weeks here because I'm sure that some team will move in or out. But I, I think that yeah, if this was the group that uh, you know we saw in Omaha in June, I, I don't think any of us would be uh, altogether surprised by that a- at all. So I, along those lines as well, I mean, Joe, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but. Do, do you guys think that we're going to get a tournament like last year, which wound up being pretty chalky? A lot of the regional hosts wound up in Omaha. The most Cinderella team you could find was a Pac-12 team in Washington. Or do you think it'll be like a few years ago uh, when things went haywire and almost none of the hosts made it to Omaha? <laughs> Uh, again, another great question, Teddy, that, you know, I, I don't know how any, I don't think any of us could foresee how this is going to play out. I think there's one thing as I was listening to both you guys give your opinions, there's, you know, one, one that I have my eye on is Georgia. And, you know, that's with the concern of Emerson Hancock out for the last two weeks. 
weeks. You know, they've, they've categorized it as resting him, and I, I hope that's the case. But who's to say when he, when the, the, the wonderful armed sophomore is going to come back? And that's even though they just went and swept Florida this weekend, that's, that's got to be a concern. Now, on the other, the flip side, Cam Shepard, their shortstop, who's played terrific defense all year, had a great weekend offensively, and that's, that's helped elevate them. But I think there's things like that that happen. There's, you know, as you all both know, as we get into regional play and super regional play, there's the rain delays. That affects momentum of games. That could turn a whole game around. If a guy starts a starting pitcher and then they have to replace him, that could change the whole outcome of games. So there's so many factors that go into this as we go into the postseason that it wouldn't surprise me if it's chalky, but I think from past history, I think this, and especially the way the year has played out as we've seen it firsthand, it wouldn't shock me if, if, if you see some Cinderella stories in, in Omaha again and some wonderful stories. I mean, those are wonderful stories. To have it chalked, I think that's what a lot of the people want. But I think some of the storylines is when some of those Cinderella teams get there that have never been there. I think that adds some flavor to the, to the Omaha thrill. You know, Teddy had to just a, a peek behind the curtain here. Teddy had to talk me off the ledge a little bit last night at top 25 call because I, you know, I'm, I'm on the record as being a, a fan of chaos. Like I, I hate when the, the postseason is chalky because I like the interesting stories and I like to, I like to learn about a team that I didn't know as much about, you know, uh, coming into the postseason and, and get to learn about them through their run in the postseason and what have you. That's always been a kind of one of the unique thrills about college baseball. Frankly, it's one of the things that really got me into college baseball. Frankly, if I could just take another step back is that, um, you know, you have those kinds of things happen in regionals and in super regionals where, um, you know, you really get to, uh, because of the format as well, you're, you're getting multiple looks at a team. Whereas, you know, in college basketball, you might not have seen their first round game. And so it's a Cinderella story that, you know, a 15 beats a two, but then if the 15 loses in round two, you're done. Um, in college baseball with the regional and super regional format, you kind of get a longer look at teams. But so, I, you know, I'm really into that. And I was, a, I was a little worried because of, in this conversation talking about, hey, it might just be a chalky year. And uh, that's kind of nice when you get to Omaha because you do want the best, most talented teams to be there. But it is kind of fun when you've got some things getting mixed up. And, and Teddy made a good point in that uh, kind of what I was saying before is that, well, you know, one through eight might kind of be that case. But there's going to be a whole bunch of hosts from from nine to 16 that, uh, you know, just aren't as, aren't as solid. And so there's bound to be some stuff happening in those regionals. Um, now that might make it more likely that we have a chalky super regional round. Um, so that could be the case, but, uh, that's a small sample size and you think it happened. So I think we still might have some fun regionals. I've come to come around to, to your point on that, Teddy, and that, you know, maybe it's not at the very, very top, but I think chances are, we are going to see some, um, see some things happen with some of those hosts on the back end that maybe either backed their way into hosting or, you know, have come, you know, on and off the hosting bubble several times this season. I, I think those are where we're going to be able to see some of those fun storylines and some uh, out of left field things. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who this year's uh, Tennessee Tech is. Uh, that's always a popular question uh, when I go on uh, other radio shows and the like. You know, everyone wants to know who, who this year's Cinderella is going to be. And I, I don't have a good answer right now. Uh, you know, there's no ready-made one the way that, you know, we could see Tennessee Tech coming a year ago or, you know, some, some of the other Cinderella's in the past. But, uh, you know, last last year we had Stetson and we had Tennessee Tech and Super Regionals. And, uh, you know, neither one wound up making it to Omaha. But there was, it was still fun to see, you know, first of all, a team like Stetson get a chance to host and then 
both of them get a chance to to play on the the super regional level and and uh, in Tennessee Tech's case get a win away from Omaha Stetson um, was swept at North Carolina but you know both of those teams brought something new to that round and I will probably see something like that this year I would guess but uh, it's also you know, it, it's rare that you get Stony Brook or Kent State in Omaha. So, you know, th- that is the thing is that those are really rare for a reason. But what's not rare is is regional upsets. I mean, th- there's usually something goofy every year, you know, whether that's uh, a VCU winning a few years ago or or uh, like a Tennessee Tech last year, even though th- they were a two seed. But something someone is going to have something of a cinderella moment uh this june we'll we'll just have to wait and see how many of them and we will keep trying to figure out who it's going to be so that we can uh we can try and get get you guys a little bit ahead of the curve uh as as we get closer to uh to that selection monday and and the uh release of of the bracket now, also this weekend, we what kind of has been alluded to already is that Ole Miss went and beat LSU in Baton Rouge. It's the first time the Rebels have won a series in Baton Rouge since the 80s. And it was a huge series win for Ole Miss, probably puts them on the host line. It's a tough loss for LSU, and it was especially tough because of the way it happened where uh, LSU won game one and then was... Really, it looked like they were dead in game three, having won the second game to force a rubber match. They're down six runs going into the ninth. They come all the way back, hit three home runs in the top of the ninth inning, only for Ole Miss to score four in the in the, the tenth to, to win it. We've kind of talked around the implications of that, and I don't want to dive too deeply into it right now. What I do want to talk about is what happened on Friday night uh, when Drew Bianco, who is a freshman at LSU and the son of Ole Miss coach Mike Bianco, hit a pinch hit home run in the eighth inning, gave a tremendous bat flip, and then proceeded to circle the bases while his father glared at him from the Ole Miss dugout. To, to make it even better, it was Mike Bianco's birthday. So ultimately, uh, Mike got the last laugh there with the series win. But Drew did enjoy the home run uh, a lot. And I'm going to guess that that had very little to do with who it came against and a lot to do with how far it went because it was absolutely blasted. There's been a lot of chatter, uh, you know, a lot of jokes flying on Twitter about, you know, should he be grounded? Uh, someone was in my mentions about, I hope, hope Drew's a really good player because he's going to be cut out of the will uh, come this week. What do you guys think is the appropriate punishment for Drew Bianco? Should he be grounded? Should he have worn one? Where, where are you guys at on, uh, on that situation? Well, I think he got the ultimate punishment because Ole Miss ended up winning the series. And ultimately, that <laughs> is the most important, more than personal um, records or, or home runs. But I, I think, I'm just going to say this, I'm very old school. If, if that was my son and he did a bat flip and hitting a home run on my birthday against my team, I would ground him from having to use his bat over the next 10 at-bats that he takes. He has to go to the plate and stand up there without a bat like the guy on the trophy and, um, and, and just not be able to swing a bat. And I, I'm joking, but, I mean, I thought that was kind of coincidental that his dad's in the other dugout. He hits a mammoth bomb, as you said, and it was the bat flip that I got. The, and I think I, 
I know this. I, I could. I, I know because I've experienced it before. Not playing against my son, but I'm sure when the ball went over the fence, Coach Bianco had a was very very proud. But I think the glare was coming from the bat flip on how his son how his son reaction was to hitting a home run against his team. That that's just my opinion. But um, uh, my ground would be that he's that he would have to talk to Coach Maneri and say for his next ten at bats he has to go to the plate without a bat in his hands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that sounds fair. Um, Dave, Dave's a father; I am not, so uh, you know, I, obviously, I will defer a little bit to them. And I, I think, a, I think, just a general grounding would be fair as well, especially given that you know Ole Miss ended up winning the series. Now we know that had Drew Bianco hit that home run, and then LSU wins that series, that changes the power dynamic there. And we know it's in the Geneva Convention that he could not have been grounded if they had won the series <laughs> and he hit that home run. That's we know that. So, like, it's important, that's an important distinction to draw there that, you know, there was no change in the power dynamic and he can't get away with it because they didn't win the series. However, you know, with Ole Miss winning the series, I think a grounding is, is certainly in order. And I'd be curious where that ranks on um, Mike Bianco's worst birthdays. Although, I guess, when, you're, when, you're, when your birthday falls during the season, I suppose it does open you up for that, you know, because you're going to be playing on your birthday, I don't know, a plurality of the years you've been active coaching so I guess it does open you up to some situations where you know I I get maybe Ole Miss has been walked off on his birthday or something I don't know but um I can't imagine it was his particular favorite birthday yeah I mean that's got to be like bottom five for his birthday for for Mike Bianco but the the way they came back to win uh was significant and uh also Drew went hitless uh he got the start the next day went hitless and uh, then was out of the lineup on Sunday. So, I yes, ultimate last laugh there for the father with, uh, with with Drew going hitless and then winning a series in Baton Rouge for the first time uh, since 1982. And I am, we're probably going to be endlessly fascinated, or I'm going to be endlessly fascinated by the, the Bianco uh, situation for the next few years here. Mike has talked about on this podcast before why he is not coaching his sons. Ben is at Louisville. Drew is at LSU. And the youngest, Sam, uh, is committed to Louisiana Lafayette. And, you know, it, it's just an interesting situation. It, it's an interesting decision that that the family has made. Uh, and it sets up for some awesome entertainment for us. So, uh, you know, I, I very much enjoyed uh, the entirety of that highlight on Friday night. And uh, I look forward to uh, another few years of, of uh, Drew Bianco being in the same division uh, as his father's team. So I think uh, we also want to mention a, one other. I also want to mention one other uh, SEC West series that is Mississippi State uh, going to College Station and winning a series. Uh, the Bulldogs remain pretty hot, uh, and, and that was another really strong road series for them. And then also in, in the SEC, Mizzou gets a very big series win against Tennessee. The Tigers now looking very good for the NCAA tournament, and, and they move up in the Baseball America Top 25 as a result. Elsewhere in the SEC, Georgia swept Florida. Vanderbilt dropped all kinds of runs on South Carolina, uh, set some records for you know, some program records in terms of runs scored on the road and in an SEC game, uh, or SEC series rather. 
Uh, did, did anything stand out to you guys uh, from the SEC this weekend? Um, for me, it was just uh, I thought it was a big series win for Missouri. The Tigers come into Knoxville and were up five to one on Friday, and then losing eleven to five because they put a lot of guys on base with the free passes and made some errors, and then winning the series down seven nothing going to the third inning on Sunday. They come back to win 10-8. to eight. That's a big series for the Missouri Tigers to go on the road in a much-needed series for both teams and fight through some adversity after kind of giving away the game on Friday. And, and it ended up winning the series. That was huge for them. And, uh, you know, obviously Vandy continues to take care of business. And, and it's going to be an interesting race to see between uh, – to see who gets that 12th spot. I know Alabama's in the lead right now, but uh, two of the three teams – between Alabama, South Carolina, and help me on the third one, guys, um, fighting for that Kentucky. 12th spot. And Kentucky, fighting for that third spot. And um, that's going to be interesting to see. But I, I, kudos to, to Missouri coming into Knoxville. And, and, you know, we talked about this last night. I mean, uh, Missouri's a team to be reckoned with. They, they, uh, they've got some good pitching, and they, they've shown their, their offense is coming around a little bit more. They're a team to be reckoned with as, as we move on. Yeah, I think it's interesting an interesting uh, lesson in just how quickly fortunes can change. I mean, you mentioned Tennessee losing that series, and now they're in a position where, you know, just a couple weeks after we thought, hey, this team might host because the, the RPI is still quite good. They're sitting at 10 right now. Uh, but 10 and 14 in the SEC as it stands today, and so they've gone from kind of being in the host discussion to now they're going to have to hustle to – um, a, not have to do a ton of work in Hoover to feel good about their at-large chances, but also they just need to win some games to be able to even play for something in Hoover um, because it is not out of the realm of possibility that they're in a situation where they go have to go and, and, win, and win it all there. Um, so things can change pretty quickly. And then you look at Florida, um, and things have really gone sideways on Florida. I think I saw where this is the third time they've been swept on the road uh, this year. Um, obviously, just got swept by Georgia. Um, and Florida's in a situation where they, they I mean, they – at this point, barring a torrid run to finish the season, which, I, you know, I guess we can't rule out. Um, but barring that, I mean, they are in a position where they are probably just going to have to win it all in Hoover uh, to get into the postseason because things have, have really gone sideways on them this season. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a strange position to see Florida in and, and uh, Tennessee as well, just given where they were a couple weeks ago. But it, it sets up for an exciting finish in the SEC, and I will just remind you guys, not that you guys need the reminder, but as a reminder, Mississippi State a year ago went into the final weekend playing Florida, sitting at like 12 and 15 in the SEC, swept Florida, gets in, goes to Omaha. So things change quickly in that conference because all it is is a matter of getting hot at the right time, and those teams are all plenty, plenty talented. Uh, so that brings us to the shout outs, the part of the podcast where we uh, want to bring something up, uh, player program, whatever, uh, that, that we haven't gotten to this point, but is worthy of mention. So Dave, why don't you start us off? What do you have this week? Uh, first off, from a player perspective, congratulations to Jake Genther of TCU, uh, 46 straight games uh, reaching base. Um, you know, obviously, I'm very good friends, uh, long, lifelong friends with Bill Moziello, their hitting coach, their associate head coach at TCU. And he's coached some wonderful hitters throughout his career. And he says Jake is one of the – is in the top of some of the best hitters he's ever coached. So congratulations to Jake. He's having a good year. 
I believe he had multiple home runs yesterday and a loss, a, a late inning loss to West Virginia, but 46 straight games of reaching base. Um, congratulations to Bob Whalen and Dartmouth, uh, win number 600, uh, I think came yesterday for him. And then uh, I want to recognize uh, the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, you know, I know Texas is struggling right now and they're down this year a little bit towards the latter part of this year and at the bottom of the Big 12, but for the uh, Kansas Jayhawks to sweep them in their own backyard is huge for that program. And, and a guy that I've coached against for many years out on the West Coast and in Richie Price, one of the, the better people in college baseball, one of the nicer guys in college baseball. I'm happy for him and his program. I mean, two weeks left in the Big 12 before their conference tournament in Kansas sits at 8-10, and 10, tied with Oklahoma and TCU in the standings. And Kudos to the Jayhawks. That was a big sweep. Whether Texas is having a good year or not, that's a huge sweep for them. And that's coming off of just a few weeks ago winning a, a big series against Oklahoma State. So huge for the Kansas Jayhawk program. In uh, a very sad note, I want to give condolences to uh, the family of, of Jackson Weller, uh, a player in the New Mexico, uh, University of New Mexico program. The Lobos lost one of their players on Saturday morning that he was tragically killed in a, in a shooting that happened off campus. Uh, I think he was out getting something to eat. Um, I can only relate to about 30 years ago. I'll never forget the phone call I got when I was in junior college at Shrews Junior College as a coach, as a young coach, and um, that one of my players, George Rodriguez, on a, on a Halloween night um, was shot also. And, um, you know, whether – if you're his coach, it's like losing a son. And if you're his teammate, it's like losing a brother. So um, to the family of Jackson Weller, to the program of the University of New Mexico, the coaching staff and all the players, um, I, I send you nothing but the best wishes and, and that you get through this, that tough tragedy. Yeah, we don't like it when real life uh, kind of invades in college baseball, but that's what happened this weekend uh, in New Mexico. Obviously, very disappointing, very upsetting um, you know, that, that something like that would happen on a college campus uh, or nearby a college campus to, to a college kid and uh, or to anyone really. Um, and, and for it to, to touch the program like that is, uh, can only imagine what everyone out there is going through. Um, Joe, how about you uh, lift the spirits a little bit here uh, with your shout outs? All right, we're going to talk uh, regional gas station chains, because I I didn't really realize, you know, I spend a lot of time driving on the weekends to games out here in the in the Midwest and in other parts of the country, and I did that for a while down in the, in the South as well, and I didn't realize like really how brand loyal I am, because I would have never really considered it too much, um, but I know when I lived in Houston and was driving to games in you know Texas, Louisiana, and the Deep South. I stopped at Valero a lot, and that was kind of like my go-to there. And I, I grew up around the corner from one, so maybe that just kind of subconsciously was why I was drawn to that. But obviously, Bucky's was a big one in, in Houston, too, although I'm putting that in a separate category. That's almost like a tourist attraction in and of itself. But but now that living up in the Midwest, I found myself, I, I'm drawn to Quick Trip, or QT, as it is put. Um, it's kind of like the Wawa of the Midwest, and that they've got like the fresh food counter, um, where, you know, you have like made to order sandwiches and, you know, subs and, and pizza and dishes like that. So that's kind of a, a little bonus there. But, uh, I find myself drawn to QT when I'm in Indiana, I'm a speedway guy. The speedway is my go-to when I'm in the state of Indiana. And so I didn't know this about myself. And I thought about that a lot as I was driving, 
in, in the state of Iowa. And I, I don't have an Iowa favorite right now. I didn't see a lot of the usual places I go, so I was kind of more out on my own on the drive there. But um, so I haven't formulated my full uh, Iowa opinion yet. So Iowa Twitter, feel free to hit me up with what should be my um, regional gas station chain of choice in the state of Iowa. My other shout out, um, actually in a college baseball sense, um, because I do have one of those too, I promise. The Elon Phoenix um, is a team we talked about quite a bit in the um, preseason, um, most notably because they've got a couple pitchers and Kyle Brnovich and George Kirby, uh, who are legit prospects, uh, who came in with uh, great numbers and we're kind of looking forward. And we actually did talk about them kind of at least on the periphery of maybe they are the Stetson of this year. And that didn't quite work out because they got off to a little bit of a slow start in non-conference, but boy, did they turn it on. Uh, they've already clinched the Colonial Championship. They are sitting at 18-3 and three with uh, just one series to go. That looks like they're taking the last weekend off. So they, they've really finished quite nicely here. Um, and I say all this to say the postseason application here is, um, my condolences ahead of time to the University of North Carolina, which is probably going to draw Elon in a regional should Elon get through the Colonial Tournament. I think I actually said this on a podcast early in the year. Um, if you are a host team out on the East Coast, you really desperately want Elon to play well enough to get a three seed so that you are not drawn against them. However, that has not happened. Elon's RPI is in the top 100. Uh, it is sitting at 93, but that is still probably not going to, there's probably not going to be able to do enough to get any anywhere close to that three line. So they are going to be a four. Uh, I most likely, North Carolina looks like the place there. So uh, that is not going to be a, um, you know, anything could happen, I suppose. But that, that seems like the obvious place to send them. And that is not going to be a fun matchup, whether it's Brnovich or Kirby. Uh, just not an easy draw there. Uh, about as bad as you can get in terms of a four seed this season, I think. As the person who puts the puzzle together, I can tell you that it is not necessarily going to be UNC because there are like five teams they could send. To, like uh, Campbell is, uh, is is right here as a very easy four seed as well. And Navy is not too far away if they win the pa- Patriot League tournament. So what I'm saying is, East Carolina, you are not free from this. Elon, Elon may be coming to Greenville. Elon may be coming to Atlanta. Elon, <clears throat> Elon, if Morgantown uh, somehow manages still the host, Elon could be going there. Uh, wherever Elon goes, again, assuming they win the Colonial, no one is going to be happy to see it. Uh, not just the one, but also the two and the three, because there are two of these guys. It's not just uh, an ace situation. They're co-aces, and Elon is going to be a dangerous team. I wish their non-conference schedule had been a little more robust so we could get a better gauge of how they would perform in that setting. Uh, they, they will not have played anywhere really like those places yet this year if, uh, if it comes to that. So we'll see how, that com- how they fare in that if... Uh, if it, if they get to that point, but for now, uh, yes, very much, uh, very deserved shout out by Elon to they have they have just stormed through the Colonial. So I wanted to mention first of all, I guess SIDs everywhere, but specifically the SIDs that were at the Abilene Christian New Orleans series this weekend. I was looking at box scores this weekend. I don't know who is responsible for this, whether it was Abilene Christian, whether it was New Orleans, whether it was a student worker uh, at New Orleans, I don't know. But if you look at the box score on one of the the games 
on in Friday's doubleheader between those two game two teams, uh, there is a spot for weather that is usually just a temperature and a wind direction and maybe a miles per hour. Uh, but here we have, yo, it's hot, people. And I am sure that it was hot in New Orleans. And uh, it is the little things that get you through the season. And so I very much appreciated that. So shout out to the SIDs everywhere, but especially those at Abilene Christian in New Orleans. I also want to mention FAU. I'm surprised Joe did not. FAU went to Southern Miss needing a series win to stay in the Conference USA race and to really boost its uh, NCAA tournament chances. And that is exactly what they got. Uh, They won the first two games in Hattiesburg, really decisively clinched the series on Saturday, weren't quite able to finish the sweep. Southern Miss came up with a, a tight win in Sunday's series finale, but FAU very much helped itself uh, in terms of a, a postseason spot and also just kept that Conference USA race alive going into the final two weeks. Southern Miss leads by a game, so not, not a whole lot of margin for error there for the Golden Eagles if they're going to be able to win their third straight Conference USA title. And I guess I also want to mention Indiana State, which went on the road to beat Illinois State. Uh, very important Missouri Valley Conference series. Indiana State moves into first place with that, and their prize is they have to go on the road and play Dallas Baptist this weekend, again with first place on the line. Uh, but good job by the Sycamores to uh, take care of business this weekend. They're in normal. So the, the Sycamores, who started the season very well, continue to be playing pretty well, and they are, like FAU, looking pretty solidly uh, like an NCAA tournament team. Now, looking ahead, this week is rivalry week in college baseball. We have Ole Miss against uh, Mississippi State. We have Cal and Stanford. We have Bedlam out there in Oklahoma. There are several other. So those are kind of the highlights. And uh, even in the midweeks, we have uh, East Carolina and North Carolina and uh, Vanderbilt and Louisville. So there's there's plenty of rivalry going on this week, uh, and, and that's going to be exciting uh, around the country. So uh, I, I would encourage you, you to uh, to check all of that out if you can. Uh, you know, if you have a, a rivalry series around you, those are those are part of what makes college sports great. So whether it's on TV watching uh, watching some of these games or, or getting out to the yard, uh, they, they should be very entertaining uh, baseball around the country this weekend. Uh, in the meantime, make sure to uh, check out baseballamerica.com. We have plenty of content over there to keep you busy. There will be a new updated projected field of 64 uh, on Wednesday. You can read my story about the new Duty Noble field, which uh, also appears in the latest edition of Baseball America. I think it's a pretty cool story. I worked pretty hard on it. So, yeah, make sure to to go check that out. And we'll have plenty there uh, throughout the week as well for you. So make sure you're continuing to read baseballamerica.com. Make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcast app. Rate, review if you can. That helps other people find it. And you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe underscore on underscore sports. And Dave is at Dave Serrano 11. We will be back here next Monday with a new edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Until then, Uh, Thanks to Joe, thanks to Dave, and, and thank you all for listening.